0: You're invited to take your Bible, if you haven't done so already, and open it to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 28. We've been talking, uh, starting last Sunday and for the next uh, several weeks, about making disciples. And uh, Last week, I talked about the difference between real maple syrup and the cheap stuff, and the lengthy process and expense of making the real thing, and basically said, as disciples, We don't want to be the cheap stuff. We want to be the good stuff, the real deal. Remember that, those of you who were here? And so thank you to whoever it was. Somebody this morning brought me and had sitting up here a jar of the real deal. So thank you. I'll try to think of other things I like to eat and mention it in future sermons. I grew up on a farm, as you know. And for most of my life, there were two houses on that farm. The one we lived in, the one my father's sister lived in with her four children. So we played together a lot, my cousins. We did work on the farm together. we swim in the river together, put up hay together, build, you know, log cabins and tree houses together, dam up the creeks together. We played a lot together. And then years later, when Dad was dying with cancer, there was an evening when we had a dinner. And I can still see us. In the dining room, sitting around the table, I was in my 20s, those cousins were in their 20s, and I can still see us sitting around that table, and Dad, about two months before he passed away, he didn't get serious very often, but he got serious for a moment and said, I want you all to always get along. I want you always to love each other. I think all of us understand that what someone says at the end of their life is what matters to them, is really important to them, correct? Well, what we have in Matthew 24, Jesus has already died, but he's been raised from the dead. Now he's getting ready to leave his disciples on earth as he returns to the Father in heaven. And the very last thing Jesus says to them matters. The very last thing Jesus said before going back to heaven matters. You might say it was what was on his heart, the most important thing he could say in that moment. And what did he say? Well, you have your your Bibles. What did he say? Look at Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 18. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, by the way, this is the memory verse for this month, okay? Memorizing a different verse about Jesus each month. For September, it's Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority is given to me in heaven and earth. We talked about that a little last week. Now here's the verses more of us are familiar with, known as the Great Commission. We usually associate this with missions, sending out missionaries. And that's a mistake. Because this verse is not talking just about missionaries. This verse is talking about me and you. It's talking about each and every one of us who are followers, who are disciples of Jesus Christ, and what He commissions, charges, commands us to do. Because this is an imperative, not just for missionaries, but for every follower of Jesus Christ. He said, go therefore. Make disciples. In the Greek, you could say it's literally, as you are going... So wherever you're going, make disciples of all the nations. In in the original language of the New Testament, it's actually of every, every people group, every ethnicity, anybody you encounter as you go through life, whatever their culture, whatever their background, whatever their race, whatever their socioeconomic status. It's not nations with political drawn boundaries as we're used to thinking of that word. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about anyone and everyone you encounter as you go through life, anywhere in the world. So make disciples of them. And then baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of time, of all the ages. So the last thing Jesus said matters. And he said, you... And me, we are to make disciples of the people we encounter as we go through life wherever we are. Make disciples. So last Sunday, we started by talking about what is a disciple. And I want to remind you of that for just a moment, okay? And to just help you grasp it, I drew a circle, and I think the graphic's on the screen for you that, that a disciple, someone who has a relationship with the crucified and resurrected Christ, and therefore you have died. To your life. A disciple is somebody who follows Jesus. A disciple is someone who's being transformed or changed by Jesus. And a disciple is somebody who is on mission with Jesus Christ. And we talked about that some last Sunday. That's more than just going to a class occasionally and I'm getting some discipleship training, some church training. That a disciple of Jesus Christ is somebody who is following Jesus every day of their life. And until the day you die, not only are you following him, but you are changing, being transformed. You see, spiritual growth is not simply about information in your head. It is about how you live. It's about what you do with the teachings of Christ. And and that never ceases. It's it's constant change, constant transformation. And then always is on mission with Christ, making disciples that, that I'm always seeing my existence as one which is to accomplish his purpose. How can I be an instrument he uses to make a difference in other people's lives? I'm on mission with Christ. That's a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, Next Sunday, we're going to talk about the beginning of someone becoming a disciple, becoming a follower of Christ. What we normally think of as committing their life to Jesus. The problem is we think that that happens and that's it, and it's not. We'll talk about that next Sunday. But today, I want to talk about the tools that, that Jesus has given us, tools we're to use to help people grow as disciples to help people not only become disciples but keep becoming growing changing being how, how do we help people move from point A to point B to point C to point D how do we help people continue progressing as disciples become the kind of disciples that this describes now when you look at the at the ministry of Jesus there are some things he did <clears throat> and I don't think you and I can improve on how he did it so let's think a little bit about how Jesus made disciples, okay? We'll talk about two tools this morning. The first one is related to God's Word. It's teaching and learning related to the Word of God, applying it to our lives, reading it, being conformed to it. The second tool is Fellowship, it's connections, it's relationships, it's being in a smaller group of people where there is interaction, where there is discussion about what Jesus says, where we help each other put it into practice and we care and pray for each other. So I am going to talk about what you might think of as Bible study and fellowship, but I'm going to challenge, listen, listen, I'm going to challenge the definition you normally have of Bible study, Bible teaching and fellowship. Because I think the definition most of us go through life with when it comes to those two things is too narrow and therefore not as effective as it needs to be. But those are the tools Jesus used. And so let's look at the first one. Let's look at the Bible teaching, the role of of Scripture in, 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 in Jesus' ministry, okay? Now, Matthew 28, verse 20 and uh, we're going to have to change that font. You couldn't see. That's supposed to have a white background. Something messed up. But anyway, um, Jesus said, go and make disciples, teaching them. Notice that. Teaching them, but he didn't just say teach them. He said, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Okay? Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Let's break that down. The word teaching, now in our English language when we hear the word teaching we think All right, somebody stands up and speaks and you sit there like you're in school and you take notes, right? And that's a very limited understanding of teaching and it's really not what this word is talking about. This word in the original language for teaching means both to teach and to understand. We don't have an English word that comes even close to, the, to meaning the same thing. It means to teach and to learn. And until the learning has taken place, until the understanding has occurred, the teaching is incomplete. It's helping someone, like if if you've got a a skill or a job, you you usually do more than just give somebody a manual. You usually do more than just have somebody read the instruction book. You, You show them how to do it. You practice with them. They practice with you. Because the focus is on them knowing how to do it, not simply knowing what the manual, the instruction book says. And that's the idea behind this word that Jesus uses in the Great Commission commission when he says, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And so the process, the process matters. So how did Jesus do it? Well, we can all read the Gospels and we, we have these times when Jesus is teaching there's a large crowd, right? But what did Jesus spend most of his ministry doing? With the 12, not the crowd. And a lot of times, we talked about this last Sunday that a rabbi, when he was training his, his, his disciples, that a Jewish rabbi would teach and there would be a crowd listening, but he was talking to his, his students, his disciples, and there was interaction, there was Q&A. And yet Jesus spoke to the crowd, but Jesus did most of his teaching with his 12. And how many times do you read in the four gospels there being times when they would ask Jesus, what do you mean by that? There was this back and forth because the goal was not just to share information. The goal was to make certain they understood it. They had truly learned it. And and you see, the teaching that I'm doing right now as part of worship is one-directional. And and, and God uses it, and, and there is discipleship that takes place, and you can be encouraged and inspired. God can convict you, but the best teaching, and everybody in education knows this, the best teaching is not what I'm doing right now. It's not the best method. Best method of teaching is in smaller groups where there can be interaction about what is being taught because only then do we know for certain somebody gets it. That's what this Word is talking about. That's how Jesus did it. Jesus would talk about something and answer questions, and and, and then He would serve, and He would give them opportunities to serve, right? Because they were learning to do what He had shown them how to do. That's part of discipleship. That's part of what Jesus is talking about here. Application not just information. Now he said, <clears throat> teaching them to do what? To observe. I think the, in a, one, one translation may say, maybe the NIV says obey. This Greek word, Literally means to, to keep, to hold, to maintain, to, to not let go, to not leave. It also has the idea of watching and observing. Therefore, it's, it's like you observe customs, you observe traditions, you maintain and hold on to and observe religious rituals and all of that. It's the idea of, 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 not, of, of, of following through, of doing it, of obeying it. It's all of that. That's what Jesus says. Listen, discipleship is not simply you teaching them what I said. That's that's only part of it. That doesn't go far enough. Discipleship is teaching them how to do what I said. Why do we have a a four-week Bible reading plan? One simple answer is I'm trying to get you to do something, not just think something. Because until you do, you haven't learned it. We learn through doing. Is that not correct? It's interesting. Um, In English, we're used to, I'm going to do a little teaching, okay? We're used to past, present, future tenses. The Greek language takes a slightly different approach. It focuses more on the type of action. Is the action something that happened in the past one time and it's done? Or or is it something that is ongoing and that that we would think of maybe as present tense, but it's more than that. Is it the idea that it's, it's continuous? It's repeated. There's no end to it. And it's interesting. These verbs... Teach and observe, learn and maintain are both in the continuous form of uh, of verb, continuous action. It's the idea that, that we are constantly to be teaching and constantly to be learning. We are to constantly be better, growing in our ability to observe, to keep. To do, we are to constantly be helping people know how to do. There's no arrival point, there's no end point, there's no day in your life when you said, I've made it. And there's no point in our lives as disciples when we say, I no longer am responsible for helping others both know and understand and put into practice what Jesus says. That's that's a lifelong thing. See, that's part of being on mission with Jesus is that that if I've got grandkids, I've got a mission to my grandkids. If I live in this neighborhood, I have a mission to the people in that neighborhood. If I work at a particular place, I'm on mission for Jesus in that workplace. If I'm at a ball game, I'm on mission for Jesus, not just to cheer on my team. Because above everything, above everything, everything, I am always first and foremost a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I am never not on mission for Jesus because of that. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Now, all of the Scripture, all of the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament is the Word of God and it's in Aaron, and we believe it and we're to study it. But here's the thing. You and I are followers of Christ, and so therefore we understand everything in Scripture from the perspective of Jesus Christ. We are on this side of the cross, not the other side of the cross. And there's a reason Jesus says, teach them to observe everything I commanded you. We teach the whole Bible, but we teach it from the perspective of of Christ, because he has shed some light on some things that before him people didn't know. And so we start our understanding, we begin our reading, we begin our interpretation always through the lens of Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Messiah, Savior, fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, being his disciples. I don't do it the other way. I start with Christ. That's what a disciple is. And that's what Jesus said. For instance, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, okay, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, Jesus said, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever (laughs) commits murder shall be liable to the court. Then Jesus said, but I say to you, but I say to you, Whoever is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says, Raka, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool shall be guilty enough to enter into the fiery hell. Jesus said, yes, the Old Testament says you cannot commit murder. But I'm telling you, that's not all of it. I'm telling you how you feel about people, what you say about people, and what you say to people also matters. Jesus Jesus took everything to a whole new level. In verse 27, Jesus said, you, you've, you've heard that it was said, that it was written, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, anyone, everyone, whoever looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her In his heart. So Jesus took it to another level, didn't he? In fact, he said, if your eye makes you stumble, tear it out, throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. See, Jesus said it's not enough just to not commit adultery. If you're looking at things, reading things, having conversations that even make you think about it, stop doing those things. Jesus took it to a whole new level. And so being the disciple of Jesus means that, that I want what he said to transform me and make me more like him. Because disciples are students, followers of their rabbi, Jesus, and they want to become like Jesus. How many times in the Gospels did Jesus say that? Later in that chapter, he said, you've heard, it, you've heard it said that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you what? Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he causes his son, sunshine, to rise on the evil and the good. And sins reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, Jesus takes everything to a whole nother level. And if you want to be a Christian who doesn't really get what it means to be a follower of Jesus, then read the Bible, but don't put Jesus at the heart of it. Because Jesus changes everything. Changes everything. So how are you doing? How's your Bible reading? About half of us read it somewhat consistently. Now this surveys of people who go to church, not the population at large. And so I know from history that about half of you read your Bible several times this week. I also know that about half of you didn't read your Bible any at all or maybe picked it up once and read a little bit. How are you doing in your Bible reading? In your Bible study, in your meditation, the things we talked about last month on those spiritual disciplines. I mentioned a few weeks ago, one of the books I read this summer was on Jackie Robinson and Branch Rickey, and they're integrating Major League Baseball. I mentioned that Jackie was a, a devout follower of Christ. So was Branch Ricky, by the way. They were, they were both Methodists. And um, Jackie had a family heritage of faith in Jesus. His mom Mallie, that's her seated. Jackie's the one fathers to your left with his siblings after they had moved to California, and she divorced her drunkard of a husband. She was a devout follower. Her parents. Her parents, her mom and dad, Jackie's grandparents, were born slaves in Georgia. But they followed Jesus. And when Jackie's mom, Mallie was 10 years old, her dad, a former slave who could not read, said one of his dreams before he died was to learn how to read. Now get this, learn how to read so he could read the Bible for himself. And when Mallie, Jackie Jackie Robinson's mom, as a 10-year-old girl, would come home from school every day, as a 10-year-old girl, she'd sit on the front porch of that sharecropper shack they lived in in Georgia, and she would teach her daddy how to read so before he died he could read the Word of God. Why are you not putting the effort into reading the Word of God? What's your excuse for not consistently getting into the Word of God? You see, Teaching includes learning, and it's not just about a Sunday school class or another group of any kind. It's also about your engagement, your participation, your intentionality, and if you're not intentional, nobody else can teach you no matter what they do. It's a two-way relationship. So what's your level of engagement with the Word of God? In in the D groups you've heard me talk a lot about, we read one chapter of Scripture a day, five days a week. Because truth is, most of us, most weeks, something will happen and we'll miss a day, so we give you two days to catch up. That's just being human. So five chapters... A week, and and do you know if you do that at the end of one year, you will have read every chapter of the New Testament. And and one of the reasons I like that better than trying to read the whole Bible in a year. Because reading the whole Bible, you see stuff and you get a big picture. But the problem is there's so much you have to do every day to read the whole Bible in a year. After a while, it becomes a chore just trying to get it all in rather than focusing on what is God saying to you. What is God teaching you? I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying if you're not careful, it just becomes something you do and you don't hear God consistently through it because you've got to get it in. You've got to get it in. You've got to get it in. And with new believers and growing believers, I'd rather tell them to start with the Gospels than Genesis. Then when they go to Genesis, they'll understand it better because they've started with Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. And then, by the way, we get together every week and talk about what God said to us in those five chapters. And that's where the work happens. So I hope you'll come to the training on October 20 and learn more about it. Now, here's the second tool. The first one, I'm going to spend less time on this one, but it's important first one is the engagement with the Word of God in your own daily reading, being a part of of Bible study groups and and all of that where where there's discussion and Q&A and and, and figuring out how, how do I do this? How do I do this stuff? And by the way, Sunday school teachers, you must see your job as more than simply teaching what is in the curriculum for that 30 to 45 minutes on Sunday morning. If that's all you see your job as, you don't see your job well enough. It's more than that. It's not just teaching content. It goes beyond that. Now, the second one is fellowship. Being part of a small group where God's Word is studied and talked about and, 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 and understood Do you notice that in the Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, how how relational that verse is? Notice notice those pronouns. Them, me, I, you. Them, me, I, you. Them, me, I, you. That's relational. In Mark chapter 3 verse 14, Jesus, when he appointed the twelve, notice we, we saw this last Sunday. Let's let's remember it. So that they could do what? Be with him. And he could send them out. It's relational. So there's a relational component to discipleship, to, to growing and becoming this kind of disciple. There's a relational component not only to discussing the scripture, but 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 listen. There is something that happens in the give and take of relationships that enable us to grow if we don't get mad and run away every time something hurts our feelings. Because discipleship will not happen if you're always in isolation or you're always running, running away because of whatever. Whatever. Jesus and his 12 had some pretty candid conversations. They came up to him on one occasion and said, Do you remember these guys? They came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, we're, tell us which one of us is the best. You think that didn't create some problems in that group? But you see, that's how you learn to move beyond where you are. That's how you learn to be transformed and change and grow and get better as a disciple. If you don't run away, you work through it as you apply what Jesus says to your life. It's interesting. Um, in our culture today, we are less and less committed to regular attendance at worship, at Bible study. It used to be that the, the very dedicated people, the most active people in church, were here on, on average three Sundays a month. Today, the, 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 if you average out the active regular attenders, we average being here 1.7 Sundays a month. Think about all the weekend trips. Think about the people who are not here today because they went to a football game somewhere yesterday and decided just to make a weekend of it and not come back. And they do that six, seven times every fall. I get it. But there are spiritual consequences to to those kind of decisions. Research. Let me show you a slide. This is some recent research. Research about attending a small group Bible study, whether it's Sunday morning, say, Sunday school or a Wednesday night group or the women here have groups on Tuesday mornings or a D group like I'm leading or anything else. If you'll notice, I don't know if you can read all of that, but 38% basically four out of... Now, these are not Americans. These are people who go to church, okay? They go to worship. Four out of 10 Protestants who go to worship go to a small group Bible study zero times in a month. Pretty staggering. How regular are you in Bible study? How often how are you sitting down with a group of believers and discussing what God said to you in that passage asking questions about what, what what Jesus meant when he said that, learning how to do this. And I'm not talking about just being in this service listening to me or, or if you're in a Sunday school class where there's all lecture and no q and I'm talking about where you're able to interact. That's part of becoming these kind of disciples, we 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 need people. And Bible study, listen, being engaged in Bible study as an individual and as part of a group, we we, we know that it's the number one predictor of kids becoming faithful followers of Jesus when they're young adults. We know that people who who do this, feel closer to God. We know that there is more, that the number one, that the number one activity, the number one spiritual discipline that produces discipleship, that produces Christian growth, spiritual growth, is your engagement in Bible study, and Bible reading. There's no other spiritual discipline that even comes close, according to the research, when it when it comes to the impact that it has on us. There just isn't. So how are you doing? Now, let me go ahead and show you another another uh, graphic. Go ahead and put the next slide up, guys. As you all know, um, the four quadrants is used in a lot of ways when it comes to helping people understand things, whether it's personalities, time, life management. This is one on, on spiritual growth. And so just think of the four quadrants, okay? And um, the further you go this direction to the right, all right, you've got more fellowship. You're in relationships, okay? The more you're on this side, less relationships. This way, the further to the top, more truth, Bible, Bible study, Bible knowledge. Now, here's the thing. In some churches, the focus is here. Some Sunday school classes, some groups, some ministries to focus on. So it's got a lot of truth, but it's weak on relationships and caring and connection. I like what the, this particular author said. He called, he called those type of churches brains on a stick. Got a lot of stuff up here, but it's on a stick. Brains on a stick because there's not much human interaction and relationship. Then you have some churches that are way over here, okay, have a whole lot of fellowship, but not much truth, not a lot of, of Bible teaching and Bible knowledge. Those are shallow churches, easily deceived, very shallow. Then you got the dead churches, no truth and no fellowship. And then you got the ones that Jesus wants, great relationships, caring, biblical discussion, interaction, and strong biblical truth. Now, that's not only true of a church. Listen, listen, listen. That model is, is also true of, of every group, whether, whatever, whether it's a Sunday school class, a Wednesday night group, a D group. That model matters in producing disciples. Here's something else. This holds true in your life individually. To become this kind of disciple who is following Christ, constantly being transformed by Jesus and on mission with Jesus, you need truth and fellowship. You need the Word of God. You need to understand it. You need to be able to get questions answered. You need interaction, and you need to do that in community with other believers. That maximizes you becoming And so the place that you should want to live as a follower of Jesus Christ is here. So how are you doing? How are you doing? So let me give you a challenge. Take the next step. What's the next step? Depends on where you are. If you don't ever read the Bible in your daily life, (coughs) take this Bible reading plan for the next four weeks and read five chapters a week. Take the next step. Do something you've not done in a while or maybe never. If you're not in a small group Bible study, take the next step and next Sunday morning go to Sunday school. Or maybe come to a Wednesday night class or the Tuesday morning Bible study the women do. Take the next step. Come to the training on D groups on October 20, not committing to do anything other than to learn more about it. Take a step. Do something you're not doing right now. What's your step? What's your step? What's your step? Let's stand. As we sing this song, talk to God about your step. Name it. Own it. God, this is the step I'm taking. And can I gently prod those of you who teach? Take the step of learning how to ask questions and create interaction to find out if the people are really learning what we're teaching. Let them do some talking. That might be a step. And those of you who sit in classes and aren't used to talking, if a teacher asks you a question, answer! There's nothing worse for a teacher than to ask a question and you all just sit there like a bump on a log. (laughs) Answer! Answer! And by the way, help the people who never talk to talk. Don't just let the same three who talk all the time do all the talking. And if you're one of the three who does all the talking, shh, let others talk. Now that's practical, right? That's helping you understand just a little bit of how you do it. That's what we're supposed to do as teachers.